0: Hello and welcome to this special edition, Jersey Heard podcast episode, part of our 2022 Africa Roundup series. My name is Faisal Barna, and I'm the director for the Middle East, Africa and India at Jersey Finance. In this series, I will be joined by leading experts, professionals and authorities in their respective fields, who will share their views on progress made on the African continent in 2022. We'll also look ahead at the opportunities for Africa in 2023, focusing on key economies and hot topics or themes which will affect the continent during the course of next year. I'm pleased to be joined today by Mercy Gaki, Head of Investor Relations at Kenya Pension Funds Investment Consortium. Uh, Welcome, Mercy.
1: Thank you, Faiza.
0: Let's start with a short summary of 2022 in the context of Africa. How would you summarize 2022 and its wider impact on Africa?
1: Thank you, Faiza. Uh, 2022 was uh, very um, interesting. year. let me use the word interesting because we're looking at the impact being both positive and negative. So, Looking at the pandemic and also looking at uh, the Russia-Ukraine war and what the impact has come to Africa as in Africa is battling poverty and job losses. And what we saw with pandemic was slowdown in the economic growth of uh, different countries' economies. Um, There was rising inflation. We also had advanced weather condition and we also had a rising risk of debt distress. So in summary, looking at 2022, I analyze it into three challenges that we had. The pandemic, the Russia-Ukraine war, and of course, the advanced weather conditions due to the climate change. So those ones caused job losses. We had a slowdown. We have organizations uh, working from home. That's a reduction in revenue, reduction in how things were previously done.
0: Thank you very much, Mercy, for that comprehensive start and summary. Let's move on to East Africa. How has East Africa as a region fared during 2022 as the continent emerged from this hugely challenging period resulting from the COVID crisis um, and the dominance of uh, geopolitical shifts both globally but also in the continent? Let's not forget we are now in the era of the Africa Free Continental Trade Agreement on the continent. Any specific highlights, good or bad?
1: Some of the challenges that we saw in uh, East Africa were, as I said previously, poverty. We've had an issue of poor education previously. We've had a not so well built up health system. We've had violence that has been contributed uh, politically. We also had hunger and slow economic growth. So looking at the already existing challenges that as East Africa we had and now bringing in the pandemic, We saw the education system, the lockdown led to children not going to school or even the universities not going to school. On the health side, we saw a massive poor health system in how COVID was handled by the increasing numbers or in terms of the patients, and we were not prepared for that. We saw a lot of job losses due to the COVID and organizations closing down. And of course, we saw increased hunger because now we had issues with the climate and now here is a pandemic. On a positive side is looking at East Africa politically, we've seen growth in terms of how power is being handled over in terms of elections in different countries. Uh, For example, in Kenya, we had our elections in 2022. The transition was very smooth compared to the previous elections. Globally, we saw a change in governance in terms of the U.S. from the Trump to Biden governance. That, of course, affected the inflows into Africa and also into the East Africa community. And again, on the global political analysis, we saw the Ukraine-Russia wall and the effect it had, especially on our investments. So... um, as we said, they're both positive and negative, but of course, the negative impact in this case uh, wins more than the positive impacts.
0: Thank you, Mercy, for outlining the significant challenges that have been experienced, not only obviously in East Africa, but uh, certainly in the rest of the continent. Let's move on and try and focus on Kenya now. How have family businesses and large corporates done during the crisis? Talk us through on how the year has been for them.
1: Uh, most of the family businesses, uh, we saw a lot of economic uh, disruptions as a country, or rather as, an, as the larger economy. One of the effects on family businesses was, of course, that revenues were f- affected. There was a survey done, and 83% of the family-owned businesses experienced a decline in terms of the revenues and 17% reported a positive boost in revenues. Funny how every time we have to look at it from a positive and a negative way. Um, we saw an unemployment surge, and this is because of the job losses due to the pandemic. We had different um, organizations picking different um, working methodologies that would fit into the match that was coming in in terms of revenues. So, we are talking about flexi hours, we are talking about working from home. We also saw a lot of organizational developments, or rather, some organizations either closed down operations, some organizations merged departments and realized some of the departments were no longer useful. Uh, there was a lot of innovations around how family businesses operate and realizing that they needed to get out of the comfort zone where we walk into the office, sit at the desk and do what you're told to do on a daily basis. This was now on a positive side. Uh, Family businesses were able to cut down on operations or rather on JDs that were no longer relevant to the organization's. In terms of the operating capital, we saw that uh, some organizations or rather some family businesses opted to take formal loans from the financial institutions. And we're talking about 38% of family-owned businesses in Kenya went to the bank and actually took a loan. And 29% of them accessed informal loans uh, because some were struggling to have uh, revenues in to cater for their costs. And some others had to go out there and seek credit.
0: It's fascinating to learn about these challenges that family businesses have faced. Of course, the change in working habits and practices flowing from the pandemic have been positive, like you very rightly say. But overall, this debt burden story, whether at the sovereign level or at the corporate family business level, is a growing concern across the continent. Thank you very much. Moving on to international investment, in the context of international investment and specifically inward investment into Africa, what have been the trends and challenges you would say have characterised 2022 for East Africa?
1: For East Africa, and at this point, I'll look at uh, most of the family-owned businesses. Uh, We have ready investments, foreign investments that are ready to come in. But some of the challenges that uh, we are facing and we're trying to close, uh, maybe going forward, one would be, of course, the business section uh, planning and continuity of business. Most of the investors want to see that actually most of the businesses have a business continuity plan or rather a succession plan. And the pandemic was, in this case, highlighted the importance of actually having a next generation because we had a number of family businesses where the founders uh, maybe out of the pandemic were either got healed and died and the businesses right now are struggling to pick from there. We also saw now uh, in case one of the main founders has even a one week break from the business, a lot of effect on the business. The other thing that we're seeing is in terms of the integration and involvement of multiple generations of the family and by this we're looking at harnessing the skills, the character, the capacity that uh, we have in family businesses. If you look at some of the business industries that in the industry area, you find the whole family has capacity and skills. They have actually gone out to study not to get employed but to come back and help Their family businesses. So these are some of the challenges, and of course, the trends that we will see going forward. The other thing is, of course, the good governance strategy. And by good governance, I'll straight on go to the board composition. We have families where every member wants to sit at the board, but if we have a good corporate governance, then we're able to have a structure that will attract investment. And of course, now looking at most of the international investors, they want to come in at an organization or a family business that has good corporate governance to avoid poor management, poor misappropriation, loss of money or capital injected. With all these in place, then I believe we can attract the right investment. And a good example is some of the companies the family businesses in Kenya that have been struggling, but with the right corporate governance, with the right succession, with the right continuity, they've been able to attract investment. For example, Ramco PE came in and expanded the operations in Kenya. So those are some of the organizations we look at, at how they were struggling and how they have picked up. So we are able to pick the challenges and we are able to outline the way forward or the threats that we should do to attract these investments.
0: Excellent. And I think that hits the name on the head. This succession and governance issue within family businesses which dominate the local market is a critical one if they're going to attract investment internally into these businesses. And the example that you view there, Mercy of Ramco, is a good one. We had Ranco, one of the family members and directors, speak at one of our events last year. The same challenges that you highlighted with the same issues that he raised and you talked about. So I agree with you. I think good governance in itself is going to be attractive for investment into these big businesses. In some cases, they are large conglomerates. So thank you very much for that. Let's look forward to 2023. Where do you see the opportunities are for family businesses and large corporates who have an existing regional and Pan-African ambition or indeed, those that are local, but we are looking to expand regionally and continentally?
1: When I look at the sector, in terms of the sector where we should align ourselves, because it's always about aligning ourselves, and again, I'll go back to the lessons that we've learned the last two years. I would prioritize three sectors. One of the sector is agriculture. The second agriculture I would prioritize is in the real estate. I would also want to prioritize any climate-sensitive investments, and this is because we're seeing the trend. In the next few years, anything that is not climate-friendly will be scrapped up. And in this case, I would look at automotive side of business. How are we transitioning East Africa or Kenya into the next big thing in terms of uh, curbing climate change and its impact? On the financing side, I'm looking at the bank lending. I'm also looking at aligning yourself strategically with the strategic investors. When I look at uh, private equity, the space that I'm into, I know this one always brings a mixed feeling because a founder has attachment to their business. And here comes another investor who is taking a controlling hand in your company it's become very hard to convince most of the family-owned business that private equity could be a solution, especially if you're struggling. But again, the question will be, if you're to go that direction, what is the value creation for the private equity coming on board? And the future of financing, we're looking at if a private equity comes to aid a struggling family business, what is the tenant they're looking at Is it between seven to 10 years, which most family businesses would consider? Or are we looking at the ticket size? Are we looking at between 10 million USD or 20 million USD? So it's very key to note that a private equity can actually come on board to offer opportunities for most of the family businesses and in terms of investment opportunities and creating that space where in case a family business feels they are no longer achieving what they want to achieve in terms of revenues, then why don't you bring on board an investor who can then come and help you cross to the next level? We're looking at, of course, building alliances and partnership, and this will stimulate investments and also nurture relationships with the networks, with the knowledge, sharing, and expertise. Then I believe we have a lot of opportunities to grow the family businesses. Every time we talk about the private sector, we forget the family-owned businesses on its own as a sector. And this is something that needs to be considered going forward, where the family businesses are key drivers to our country's economy.
0: Thank you very much, Marci. That's very useful. And the alignment with investors, uh, private equity, institutional investors, if you want to attract that is key, as you say, they're looking for that value add and how can they generate the return within their investment period. So thank you very much. So we'll move on to the next question, talking about international capital specifically. Will international capital be encouraged and incentivized to invest in Africa? Uh, what can East African governments do to encourage inward investment?
1: The answer will be yes. And uh, at first, it's good we look at where we are filled so that we look at where we are going. I think when it comes to international capital, where we failed filled is that uh, we have a negative investor perceptions of Africa as a whole. And this is because we are perceived to carry high risk in terms of investment. Yeah. And also, that means an attractive, causes an attractive sort of attraction towards investment in Africa. So, this is something we need to change. The second thing is we're looking at the political risk in Africa and to be specifically East Africa. Whether it's perceived or real, political risk is a risk that is analyzed in any investment opportunity, we need to look at the reforms and the time to enhance credibility for government. What to do? Yes, you ask what the government can do to insensitize this. Uh, One of the things that we're looking at, and I'm happy to see that currently our new president is putting in place, is promoting policies that seek transparency and allows for check and balances against executive power to build credibility in institutions and public offices. That will be the key thing. The other thing that the government can do is strengthen the judiciary. And by strengthening the judiciary is, of course, now we'll have the ability to enforce the rule of law. Having an independent central bank for the promotion of monetary stability is very key, and again, rationalizing and strengthening regional trade agreements to increase the market size, for example, in East Africa. I'm also looking at reducing the cost of doing business in the region, and this will come in handy to actually attract a lot of international capital into the country, and through the government support, we'll be able to improve quality of public infrastructure. We'll also be able to invest in people. We'll be able to reduce corruption. These are some of the things that aid us into achieving the international capital inflows. And once we're able to do that, then we will see foreign direct investment in place. We will see foreign portfolio investments come in. We will see investment come in in form of debts. And we'll also see a number of private equities internationally coming in to seek investments in East Africa.
0: Thank you, Mercy. That's very positive outlook. Uh, you know your overriding message is uh, learn from the past, whether good or bad, and use it for the future. So I think that's a very nice way of providing a summary of all the challenges and all the opportunities that, they, that are there in sight for 2023. And also very encouraging to hear positivity around the new government in Kenya. Obviously, it was a big moment. You've mentioned the transition was very, very smooth uh, compared with other parts of Africa and indeed uh, previous elections here. So, you know, all this is very positive and thank you for that. So I get to my final question now. Uh, How will East Africa do in 2023?
1: I'll keep this short because it will be positive and negative again. But looking at uh, East Africa from my perspective in 2023, we will do great. And the reason is because we've learned the last two years we've been in a class learning. We are looking at uh, attracting sustainable long-term foreign investment in Africa. And again, I'll look at in the East Africa, I'll look at uh, Kenya being the lead, where we've seen commitment to ensure macroeconomic stability I think since the president came on board, this is a first priority of stabilizing and trying to bring the economy back to where we were before the elections, before the COVID, before the Ukraine-Russia war, before the change of governance in U.S. I mean, all the factors that we've used that affect our macroeconomics. And we're also trying to see a lot of uh, continued reforms of the economies and our trade and investment cabinet is quite proactive in terms of uh, partnership in the area, uh, trade agreements and trying to open doors for international investors to come in the continent or rather in Kenya to invest and to help us grow.
0: Thank you very much. That's very positive and uh, exciting, actually, for the region. And like you say, East Africa will be led from Nairobi. This is where policy and the innovative drive will come from for the region. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mercy, for speaking with me today. Uh, That was my final question and concludes this episode in our Africa Roundup series. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Jersey Heard on your chosen podcast platform and follow Jersey Finance on our social media networks to keep up to date on our work in Africa. Thank you.